Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Glad you made it. I noticed that um, our, uh, our uh, members from afar haven't made it this morning. Bless them. Um, Tim and Lou and William, Lavina um, have to travel um, on the motorways. Um, but it's good that we made it. Bev's here? Yeah, she made it. She was a bit late, but she made it. Well done, Bev. Uh, it's good to be together. Um, uh, just about yesterday, I had a fantastic time. I came in, turned up a bit late, so I didn't do any of the setup. Um, and I said to Jim, put me on the rowdiest table. And he pointed to a table, and I went there um, to the, uh, the Irish club ladies. I don't know, something like that. Um, all loosely related to someone Irish or something. Um, had great fun. And it was, it was brilliant. And they just loved it. They just loved it. And um, um, so... Um, well done, Jim and the team, and the, the turkey. I even enjoyed the turkey. It was amazing. And they, they did comment on how good it was, so well done. I know Mary's not here, but Anna and um, others. I can't remember who else did the cooking. Bev, that's it, Bev. How could I forget Bev? Um, I, the message I have this morning came to me um, as a seed when I was sitting in um, Fresh Ground Coffee House um, this week, and, and I was really just pumped by the number of visitors that we had. And um, my first full-day shift was last Tuesday. And uh, myself, Steve, I don't know if there was anyone else. Was it just us three, wasn't it? Bev might have been there a bit. Were you, Bev? In the morning, I think. You was there, Bev. And then, yeah, <laughs> Bev was there. But it was fantastic. And, um, and I'd say about, throughout the whole day... Um, and up to that point, that was our um, most uh, busiest day in terms of, um, uh, you know, people coming in and things like that. And it was about, uh, I'd say, 95% of the people that came in that day were not from this church. And that, and that to me, really got me pumped. And, it was, and I really enjoyed it. It was great, wasn't it? Uh, I did a stint with Angela. Anyway, let's turn to... Uh, <laughs> which was equally fantastic, and I was on food. Uh, but I did all right, didn't I, Angela? <laughs> Tim's not here, so I did sandwiches, and it's just a sandwich. Um, it was fine. I said to Angela, I said, I said a little bit of feedback. I said, I don't, you know, it's getting really busy, and, and Angela's like, you know, which is great. I, I think that's what you need in the kitchen. Someone, this is what we do. And but at the end, I said, I said, I don't mind the pressure, Angela. It's just that when you talk fast, they didn't understand a word that you said. <laughs> But we got there in the end, didn't we? It was fantastic. So it's really encouraging that we've, we're seeing people coming in. And something that people are saying is that when they come in this place, there is something different. There's an atmosphere in this place. Um, when I was growing up, my mum, I used to go out with my friends, um, um, namely um, Paul Robinson, Alan Esme's son. Um, and we used to go out, and we weren't doing anything wrong. And... Um, <laughs> And I used to come back, and my mum used to say the next morning, what did, what did you do yesterday? You brought an atmosphere in the house. <laughs> I was like, to have discerning parents. We weren't doing anything major wrong. Well, Paul was, I wasn't. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, he led me up, he led me astray. No, he didn't. Um, let's, but my message really is, it came into my heart, this whole sense, it's been a while since we talked about mission, and, um, and I heard that Mike and Jane were coming. I thought, let's talk about mission. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good to see Mike and Jane as well. And Afi. 
always lovely to see you, Steve. Uh, but um, I was, it's the Christmas period, and I thought, you know, I was thinking about, uh, in, in Matthew, um, one of the first things that's said of Jesus, and if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to it. We're not going to have them on the screen, so you can turn to your, your iPhones and your the Bibles at the back if you want. But this is what it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to um, 21. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with, with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. And my um, title, my first part of my title this morning is Jesus saves. And I particularly want us to think about this thing that Jesus, God, has a people. And Jesus saves his people from their sin. And that's the first thing. And if you turn to the very end of Matthew, just to show you where we'll be headed, the very last thing that Jesus says, he says this in verse 18 of chapter 28. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So the beginning we read, Jesus will save his people from their sin. At the end, Jesus says, now you go and not save people, disciple people. And uh, if we were to look right in the middle of half of 28 is what? 14? Well done. Chapter 14, we see in 14 and 15, we're going to this a bit later, you don't have turned it now, but right in the middle there is this wonderful story how Jesus goes out, he's actually had a really bad day, he's just heard that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded, and he goes for some quiet time, and then 5,000, it says, people um, come to hear him speak. And the, the um, Bible tells us that no one can come to the Father lest the Father draw them. Jesus has a people. He knows who they are. It says in Timothy, the Lord knows those who are his. And it's this um, fantastic thought that God has a people in Elton. And we are some of them. And I wonder who the others are. Because Jesus said that he will save his people from their sin. And I don't know if this is new to you to think like this. Some people struggle with this thought that God has a people. He has a chosen people. And he chose uh, the, the Jewish or the uh, children of Israel. But all through the Old Testament, it talks about a remnant, a remnant, a remnant. He has a chosen people. And it says that, talks about um, a chosen people wider than the Israelites, wider than the Jews, to the, including the Gentiles. Jesus has a people. And sometimes I think when we were to uh, look at some of these passages, if we look at Elijah, which you won't turn to it, Elijah was this great prophet, and, um, and he is uh, preaching into this very wicked nation. Israel was very wicked at the time, a wicked king. 
And he's, uh, he says to them, um, okay, we're going to meet up. We're going to do two sacrifices. You sacrifice to your God, Baal, and I will sacrifice to the true God, the God of Israel, Jehovah. Um, and they do this great thing, and they pour water all over it, and, um, and the, the, the Baal and all that. They're praying to their God. Nothing happens. And then Elijah says, God, don't remember the exact prayer, and God answers by fire and burns up the sacrifice. And they say, he is the one true God. And then Jezebel, the queen, chases after him and he runs away and he hides in a cave. And he's really despondent. And he has this conversation with God and God makes this point. He says, says, um, he says, because Elijah says, I'm the only one that's following you. He says, says, no, I have reserved 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to bow. He says, I have my people in the children of Israel. 7,000 have not bowed their knee. True followers, because God has a people. In, in chapter 14, as I mentioned, you have 5,000 coming um, to Jesus, and Jesus feeds the 5,000. In the next chapter, there's 4,000 that come to Jesus. And in the book of Revelation, or actually before that, in Acts chapter 18, you can turn to these. I'm going to whiz through them, but... And what I want, to, I want you to see is that there is a people of God and God knows who they are. This is what Paul was saying. He came to uh, Corinth and this is chapter 18. If you, can, you can turn to it to, so you know that it's there if you want. Uh, Silas Timothy arrived to Messania. Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews and they opposed and reviled him and he shook out his garments against them. And then down in verse 9, God speaks to him. He says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. So Jesus has a people, a chosen people. And then in the book of Revelation, in chapter 7, And listen to this language as well, which is really important. This is verse 4. So John, uh, the Lord's disciple, the apostle John, has this this revelation uh, in heaven, and he writes it in this form, and the writing is a style of writing that we have to interpret. But he has this uh, uh, vision, but listen to this. And I heard, so he heard a number of the sealed, The chosen, if you like, 144,000. Sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then he lists 12,000 from each tribe. And after this, I looked. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The reason I want to point out about hearing the number and seeing the multitude is that the number is not a, um, a, someone hasn't gone and done a count and said, right, okay, yeah, sorry, we've got 12,000 of um, Gad, sorry, 12,001, you're not allowed in. It's It's not what it means. They are figurative numbers. They are spiritual numbers, they have meaning. And um, so when John heard it, that's why what he heard was different to what he saw. 
Yeah? So if the Jehovah's Witness turns up at your door and says only 144,000 will get into heaven, they've got the wrong end of the stick. It's a, it's a spiritual number, just much like 666 is a spiritual number. It is a figurative or it has meaning. And so when we go back to the 7,000, now this is a pet um, hobby of my, well, hobby, I, I've enjoyed this. Does anyone know what the number seven means in scripture? I, I always forget that when, whenever I ask these questions, everyone talks at once, and all I hear is, oh, have some new buttons. <laughs> and then I need to ask for the interpretation. Um, someone, someone put your hand up, and then I'll choose you. Yeah. Yeah, um, yes, or oh, perfection is a better one, because 12, the reason is because it suits what I want to say a bit later. Perfection. <laughs> it's the perfect number, seven days of the week. It's the rotation. There, there are seven is used a lot in the Bible. What about five? Grace. Um, not because there are five letters in the word grace. Um, what about four? Four corners of the earth, Bev. Four, corn, four corners of the earth. Have you heard that statement? Four is a number of creation or the earth or world. Um, what about 12? There are 12 tribes of Israel, 12 months in the year, um, or 12 is a number of completeness. Now, it depends where you look. Uh, um, often it's used in government. So it could be the completeness of authority or the complete number of something. So when God created, had the 12 sons of Jacob or the 12 disciples or the 12 tribes, it was God's way of saying, this is my complete number. So 144,000 is what? 12 times 12. What about 1,000? What does the 1,000 represent? What's the meaning of 1,000? It, it means a fullness of quantity. So 12,000 is a fullness, a complete fullness of the quantity of people. Yeah? So 12 times 12. It's, it's about this kind of representative, this figurative trying to say, look, what God has chosen, he has a people, and it's his fullness, a completeness, he's missing none of his. So when we think about these numbers, if we go back to Matthew 15, 4,000, out of creation God chose a people, by grace, 5,000. Of the 7,000, it was a perfect chosen heart. The 144,000 is God's complete people. There you go, that's really interesting. You can talk about that over coffee. Isn't that wonderful? God speaks more. There was a, um, have you heard um, a thousand years to the Lord is as, uh, a thousand years is as a day to the Lord? A man once went to the Lord and said, Lord, is it true that a thousand years is like a minute to you? And, uh, and the Lord said, yes, it is. And he said, is it true that a thousand pounds is like a penny to you? He said, yes, it's true. He said, Lord, can I, uh, sorry, a million pounds, um, a million pounds, like, yes, it is. He said, Lord, can I have a million pounds? He said, yeah, sure, in a minute. But uh, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus has a people. And this is the thing, you know, how do we know who those people are? And I know that maybe in some of our minds are thinking, but hold on a minute, John. If God has a people, a complete number of people, does that mean that God is choosing not to choose other people? And then we get into this whole thing about the chosen and, you know, predestination and, you know, that God has chosen not to choose people and he's confined them to hell and it's unfair and we get all into these big discussions but I'm not going to go there because God is 
moves in ways in which we do not understand. His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher. We cannot understand how I believe fully 100% in free will and I believe fully 100% in the sovereignty of God. But God has a people and everyone will stand before God to give an account of their own choices that they made. And you can look at this if you look into the sovereignty of God in the, in the sermon of Peter when he preached in Acts chapter 2. He said this really interesting words. He said, uh, let me uh, just quote it to you, just to give you a sense of the way in which God is just beyond us. Um, he says this, this Jesus, this is chapter 2 verse 32, God raised up, hold on, I've gone to the wrong bit. Here you go, chapter, same chapter, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the, the hands of lawless men. God chose it to happen, but you did it. God didn't control anyone. He doesn't have to control anyone to make anyone do evil so that they go to hell. We go there on our own choice. But God has a people. And, uh, and I think this is a wonderful truth because we can either get caught up in how does that all work or we can grab hold of this thing. Do you know God has a people? And if you want to be with God, you are part of that people. And if you read, as we might do a bit later, the, the, the prayer of Jesus, he's praying for his people. And you can take that prayer, you can read that prayer in John 17 and say, he's praying for me. If you go to chapter 14 of Matthew, so at the beginning we see Jesus saves his people and at the end he says, now go disciple our people. But right in the middle we see um, this little, um, in, uh, I'm thinking of a word, inkling or this kind of little opening of this heart of God. The people come, this is uh, verse 13, um, Jesus had withdrew um, to a desolate place. And when he went ashore, in verse 14, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. You do it. There's a people in Eltham, God's people in Eltham, and we can say, God, there's people in Elton. And he'll turn around and say, Tom, you do it. There's a people in Elton that are hungry spiritually. And they're crying out to God. They're longing for God. And he's looking at us and he's saying, you feed them. This is the transition. Jesus saves, we disciple. Jesus is the one who does the hard part. We do the one, the part which is of most fun and enjoyable and sometimes stressful and difficult um, but nevertheless, it's the part that God tells us to, to do. In the end of Matthew chapter 28, again, um, let me just read those words. Go, or I think the Greek means as you go. As you came to church this morning, probably we were focused a lot more on not falling over, getting the car warmed up, getting to church because it's cold, but much of the day, as we go about our daily life, that's the context, as you go about your life, disciple people. I wonder 
who we walked past on the way here, or in the last week, who did you sit next to? Who do you see on a regular basis? Who lives next to you or opposite you? Um, who's here sitting in this cafe this week? Um, who was sitting at my table last night? As you go about your life, make disciples. That's what it means. John, uh, in John's Gospel, oh, this is a, a, actually just a jump to 1 Peter 3.15. As you go about your day, it says, In your hearts, honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. As you go away, as you go with, on with your life, with gentleness and respect, be ready, be prepared. Someone might ask you. They might ask you something. Why are you the way you are? In John 4, Jesus uh, meets a woman as he's going uh, on one of his travels. He sits down at this well and meets a woman. And she's a, a woman of Samaria. And uh, Samaria, not some area, as my dad used to joke, a woman of some area. Um, he's... he's, uh, he's it's no Tim Cross, but I'm doing my best. Come on, guys. Um, and he has this conversation with this woman, and eventually she comes to a realisation that this is Jesus, and, and she goes back to her town, tells everyone, you've got to come and see this man. The disciples turn up, and this is what Jesus says. Um, they say, you know, um, <clears throat> Rabbi, you know, you need to eat. And he says, I have, this is verse uh, 32, I have food to eat that you do not know about, chapter 4. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. But here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labour. Others have laboured that you have entered into their labour. I can just imagine this, that Jesus was so pumped um, that he'd had this, I don't know whether you've had this, where you've, um, you've somehow opened up, you've had a conversation, you've been able to share something about Jesus and you've come away charged and pumped and kind of excited as if you could just, Go straight there up the high street and just preach on the, on the road. Anyone have no? Anyone? Yeah. I reckon Jesus was pumped. I think Jesus gets pumped when one person listens to him. I think he gets excited. And it was almost like him saying, you're talking about food. Look, this is, this is food to me. You know, I don't want to waste my time going all the way down there for half a day to get some bread. This is food to me. This is what gets me pumped. Can you not see... Look around, disciples. Can you not see that it's white for harvest? Look at these people. She's gone back and there's people in that town and they're going to know me because of her. My people are in that town. And I think there was a bit of this that got me a bit pumped. I was a bit pumped yesterday because the ladies on my, my table were fantastic. We, we, uh, I thought there was going to be a quiz. And they, uh, uh, they wanted to be... So I said, what's our name? Because um, we had a bit of paper. I don't know what it's for. I doodling, I don't know. Um, 
And they, they wanted to be called the Golden Girls. And I was like, yeah, I'm part of the Golden Girls. This is fantastic. And, uh, but they were, you know, I didn't get to share the, the good news with them. But I tell you something, they, they said they're coming to the CAF next week. They're definitely coming down. They love this place. This is fantastic. You know, there was something in me that just gets charged when I'm in that kind of environment talking to you. I love it. Now, I know it might, might be my personality, but the heart of it is the heart of Jesus, yeah. that you carry with you Jesus, who has that heart. And I think uh, the, the application of that may be different for each individual person. But, but lift up your eyes and see. There's a lady that comes in for a warm cappuccino. I've yet to know, I know, you, you know, don't you? I don't, um, she always comes and she says, I'd like to have a warm cappuccino. And uh, I don't know her name yet, but um, I'm going to ask her name. And every little bit, every little bit of time, huh? Nicola. And she, uh, uh, she comes in with a, a, another lady and a daughter, I think, or one of these two. But every bit more, we get to know these names. And who knows where these things lead. There's people in this room right now because they met someone outside of this church. Amen. Look up, I tell you. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Yesterday, someone said, as I said earlier, they just said to me, there's something different about this place. There's an aroma. I was thinking about this in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 2, uh, 2 Corinthians 2, 15, 16. It says that we are the aroma of Christ to God. Um, among those who have been saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. I wonder what people smell on you. When they're around you, what's the aroma? Huh? We have a smell. See, Jesus saves and his work is complete and he calls us to go, now, reap. Go reap. So what does a disciple maker do? I'm going to finish in a minute. What did Jesus do? He spent time with people so that what was in him would rub off on them. That's why I don't believe that the church isolates itself from the community. It's why what we're doing here, it's nothing new. It's something we've been wanting to do for years. It's something we've done in different... Um, Mike and Jane started our first cafe here. Something we've always wanted to do. Our community groups, the heart behind that is inviting people into our homes. Invite people around you so they can, what's in you will rub off on them. He challenged them though, didn't he? He taught them. He prayed for them. He invited them into his personal life. He took two or three and went up a mountain and revealed something quite amazing to them. He ate with them. He drank with them. He laughed with them. He went out on outings. They went places. Um, he encouraged them. He equipped them. And he sent them, and he made them disciple makers. We are here because they were obedient. And we are here because there were people for us that were obedient. See, this isn't a new message. This is uh, an old message that I think we're in a time now where we can be confident and take up opportunities. You know, God has a people. And never think that your conversation, just because you didn't get into the depths of of salvation and redemption and justification and sanctification um, 
Maybe someone would just smell something on you and think there's something about that person I know I need. So we never think our conversation or your care has no effect. We look for opportunities around us. There's people in this area. There's sheep not of the fold. There's maybe people that God is drawing around you. I'd, about 10, 15 years ago, really felt God say to me, why would I bring my people into this place? Why would I do that? And this is what he challenged me. He said, are you ready to care for my people? Why would God bring his people here if we were not willing or able or caring? If we weren't willing to disciple, to give our time, to open up our hearts? Matthew, at the beginning, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we're not called to save people, but we're called to shine. Maybe you're ending by this. Do you remember at the beginning of the year, uh, we had a series called Taking Ground? Remember that? And what characterised that series, other than some teaching and preaching slots, was that we prayed for this whole community. And um, we prayer walked every street in Eltham, and we prayed here. We prayed on uh, Friday night, some of us in that room, and, uh, and we prayed, and we prayed on this basis that we believed that God was saying, take ground spiritually in Eltham for the enemy. Now, I want to I ask you, because since then we've had people joining us. Is that a coincidence? Or is it that God is saying, listen, church, the fields are white. If you're just going about, as you go, look for those in which you can disciple. And, and, and discipling can start before people know Jesus. It's being around them, talking to them, encouraging them, inviting them into your life. It's sharing about Jesus, sharing your personal experience, praying for them. A lady came in last week. She doesn't know the law. She came with Tanya. And she wanted to be prayed for. That's discipleship. I don't know if Tanya realised by bringing... She came with you, didn't she, Tanya? I don't know if she realised that Tanya was discipling that lady in that process. It's bringing her into a new way of thinking. You know, we can pray and ask God to heal us. Did you know that if we come to him and believe on him, this could happen? That's discipleship. It's about, did you know that if you think in a different way, it's discipleship. But this is my point about taking ground. Prayer. Jesus saves we pray, we disciple. I don't see any other way of missing out any of those things. Jesus saves. If we're not praying, he will take his people elsewhere. I fundamentally believe that. So let me leave this encouragement with you. Maybe I'll read some of John 14, 17. In verse 20. This is Jesus' prayer for us. I do not ask for these only, the disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. May all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And, they all, and that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me 
and love them even as you love me. Can you see the end of those? So that the world may know. That's what Jesus' prayer. Lord, do this in them so that the world may know. Amen. Jesus saves. There's a people out there. We don't know. It's not for us to judge whether they are God's people. It's for us to assume that everyone is God's people. The Bible teaches us to judge those who believe they're God's people. It says you will know them by their fruits. It says that you will, you will see Christ um, in their lives. We are conformed to Christ's image. But it doesn't say that we should choose who should receive the gospel. So we go like the sower. We sow our seed. We go, we share as we go. We look at those God brings into our path. And we take responsibility. Amen? Let's pray. Shall we stand together? Maybe the worship team can come back. Father, I want to thank you that you are the one that saves, Lord, and you will save us to the uttermost, and you have a people, Lord, a people called out ones from this world, Lord, that you have died for. Father, we know not who, Lord, because your word says that you desire that all men are saved, all men and women, all your creation, Lord, be um, restored back into relationship with you. And Lord, I want to say, I want to be one of those, Lord. We want to be those that are your sent ones. As you prayed, Lord, for us, you send us into the world, Lord, not of the world, but that being in the world, we may shine your light that others may know that you were sent of the Father, Lord, to save your people. Lord, over this Christmas period, will you give us opportunities for next week in our carol services that the gospel may be shared and people might believe, Lord, that you are God. For all those yesterday that came, Lord, that the seed may be sown, Lord, that you are a living God, Lord, and give us opportunities to disciple, Lord. As you have done the work of salvation, will you help us to do the work of discipling? So, Lord, will you encourage our hearts in Jesus' name? Amen.